Hello, my name is Glenn Wagner. I'm grateful for the invitation to come back and preach here again, uh, although it's a little strange to be doing this virtually, but thank you to Pastor Melissa for the invitation. For those of you who don't know me, uh, it was my privilege to serve as an associate pastor here at Faith United Methodist Church uh, from 1979 to 1986 as one of what was a long line of wonderful associate pastors, including someone that you know well, the Reverend Larry Thompson. I'm grateful for uh, many of the important life lessons that I learned from you. You taught me how to, to love and be loved in Christian community. You taught me about the importance of faith and Sunday school. You introduced me to mission trips. You taught me how to milk cows and slop the hogs. Uh, there's so many things that you nursed me back to health when I fell off a roof and fractured a couple of vertebrae. You um, help us welcome our son Michael into our home uh, when we adopted him from Korea and gave us a wonderful farewell as we left in 1986 for Harvard, Illinois. Um, Palm Sunday of 1986 was my last Sunday at Faith Church. And um, I, I carried those life lessons with me the whole time, and I want to thank you. This morning, I'd like to address a question with you. And it is what has been for me one of life's most important questions. I, I hope it is for you. The question is, what is life all about anyway? In a pandemic, in a stormy transition from one administration to another, uh, do you ever ask yourself that question? I, I did, and I, I remember exactly when I asked it for the first time that grabbed me. I was serving as a camp counselor at Camp McLean in Burlington, Wisconsin, a YMCA camp. We were in between camps. It was a weekend, and I got a letter from home. It was from my mother informing me that there had been a death. It was the death of a beloved teacher, a class advisor who had befriended me, and uh, it was stunning. I didn't even know he was sick, but it turned out he had for years a rare blood disease. It caused his blood to clot if he ever went outside in the, in the sunlight, uh, which meant that for years he'd been doing this and nobody knew, at least none of the students did, that he would arrive at school before dawn every day and leave after dark so that he wouldn't impact his health negatively. And when he died, it was the first time in my life that somebody that I knew, that I felt like I had a relationship with, had died, and I was devastated. I remember running out into the woods and having a come to Jesus scream fest. I was so angry and distraught. My eyes were weeping, and I said, God, why? What is life all about anyway? And after a while, there was a sense of peace, an awareness that God was present even in this dark place for me. But I've spent the better part of 50 years since that moment searching for the answers. And what I've discovered is 
that there are lots of people who have ideas, important ideas, about what life's all about, and each of them have something to commend to our understanding. For example, there was a football coach you may have heard of named Vince Lombardi of the Green Bay Packers. And Vince had this line that sort of summarized his philosophy for living as winning isn't everything, it's the only thing. And we do live in a competitive world where people do like to win and winning can make a difference. If you're a football coach in particular, because if you don't win, uh, the day will come when you will not have a job. And I can tell you from my own experience, it's a whole lot more fun to win than it is to lose, but we all have to learn how to do both uh, graciously. And I have to tell you that there is more to life than just winning. Um, there was a, an author that I read in college named Ann Rand, A-Y-N Rand. She wrote a couple of best-selling books called Atlas Shrugged and the Fountainhead, in which she promoted a very popular idea about what life's all about, and that is uh, life is about living for your own enlightened self-interest. And I have to tell you, I've observed that many of us uh, from time to time uh, look after old number one first, <laughs> And uh, enlightened self-interest sometimes feels good when you satisfy your own needs and desires. But I believe life's a lot more than just being selfish. There's another um, view about what life's all about. I was introduced to this. Uh, Epicurus was the man's name, or Epicurus. He was a Greek philosopher who came up with the idea that the purpose of life is to eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we will die. <laughs> and uh, to maximize your pleasure and minimize your pain is life's main focus. And I can tell you that uh, maximizing pleasure and minimizing pain feels pretty good. <laughs> and that there are many people I know who do that lots of times, and I have been accused of doing that too from time to time. In fact, in the Bible, in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, that purpose for living is extolled, that what God wants us to do is to be happy and to do good while we have life. There was another philosopher I was introduced to in college that is relevant today, and his name is John Stuart Mill. And he started a school of thought called utilitarianism. And that was the idea that what life's all about is doing the greatest good for the greatest number. And the reason that's relevant is that uh, politicians need to figure that out. Uh, they tr try to figure out what it is that people want and need and deliver that to a majority. And if they can keep a majority of the people in our country happy, then they can get elected and uh, maybe even sometimes reelected. But I think life is more than just majority rules or trying to please most of the people most of the time. Uh, there are other philosophies for living that I've come across. Uh, there, there are different political schools of thought, um, socialism, communism, capitalism, uh, different religions like Islam and Buddhism and Hinduism. And all of these things, if you study them, have kernels of truth and goodness that we can pull out. 
But today in particular, I want us to take a look at what the Gospel of Mark seems to indicate life is all about. Mark's very clear, and I need to tell you a little bit about Mark. Some of you may not realize that he was called John Mark. He was a young man at the time of the crucifixion of Jesus who became a follower of Simon Peter. And then he also was a friend of Barnabas and a traveling companion of the Apostle Paul. When Paul and Barnabas went on their first missionary journey, they took John Mark with them. And then John Mark kind of pooped out partway through the missionary journey, returned home. And when it came time for the second missionary journey, Barnabas wanted to give John Mark a second chance. And Paul said no. And Barnabas and Paul had a kind of acrimonious parting of the ways. And Barnabas and John Mark went to Cyprus in mission. And Paul got a new assistant, Timothy, and they continued on in their missionary journeys. We know by the end of uh, Paul's ministry that John Mark must have reconciled because he is noted in some of Paul's letters as being an assistant to Paul. We also know that uh, John Mark became the first bishop of Alexandria in Egypt. Uh, John Mark is the earliest of the Gospels that were written sometime between the year 65 AD and 72 AD, scholars speculate, that's when he wrote it. And he writes about the Jesus, Jesus ministry and uses the word immediately a lot. John, uh, Mark introduces us first to John the Baptist in his gospel. And I want to tell you a little bit about John the Baptist so you understand the context of this text that we're going to look at. John the Baptist, we know from Luke's gospel, was born to parents Zechariah, who was a Levitical priest from the country, and Elizabeth, his mother, who's identified in Luke's gospel as a daughter of Aaron, which means that Elizabeth, John the Baptist's mother, was a direct descendant of uh, the first high priest, Aaron, and that was a requirement if you ever wanted to be the high priest, which was the highest religious position you could have in the country, uh, you had to be a direct descendant of Aaron, the first high priest. Uh, but John the Baptist didn't become a high priest, um, and that the reason the high priest was so important was uh, the Jewish people had one person that they believed communicated directly with God and then it was the mouthpiece for the people to God and the mouthpiece from God to the people. And the high priest would enter into the Holy of Holies, the sacred precinct of the temple. He was the only human being allowed in there. He only went in once a year on Yom Kippur, the day of the of atonement that occurs every fall, to ask for forgiveness for the people's sins, and then to declare the word of the Lord to the people. Well, John the Baptist, when he was born, was special. He could have been that high priest, but instead he became a prophet in the wilderness, uh, living a simple life and eating locusts and wild honey and speaking the truth of God directly. And his message, uh, which in the Revised Standard Version is goes like this. He, his message to everybody was, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So if you were to ask John the Baptist what's life all about, it's about stopping what you're doing and turning around. That's what repent means at 180 degrees. 
turning around and um, living as God wants us to live. Uh, you forgive your enemies. You do good to others. You uh, share your resources with those who are poor. If a Roman soldier asks you to uh, carry his coat for a mile, carry it too. <laughs> uh, John's very direct. And his his message, it, we, we lose a little bit of the significance here, but it, it really is important when he says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It is a direct affront to the people who were already in power. There was a kingdom at hand, and it wasn't the kingdom of heaven. It was the kingdom that was authorized by Rome. And the person who was in charge of that kingdom was a, a person named Herod Antipas. And you may recognize the name Herod. He took the same name as his father. His father, Herod the Great, was a real estate developer and the king, an Edomite, who was a puppet of Rome. And uh, the Jewish people weren't real fond of Herod. He built big buildings and put his name on them, if you can imagine such a thing. In fact, one of them is a palace called the Herodium, just outside of Bethlehem. It was a, um, he had workers carve out the inside of a mountain, and his palace is on the inside of that mountain. He also remodeled the temple, built the fortress of Masada in the wilderness, and had a great palace at at Caesarea Philippi on the Mediterranean coast, and the ruins of all these things are still there for people to see and comment on. Herod, uh, Herod Antipas' father, also slaughtered all the children of Bethlehem when Jesus was born because he'd heard rumors about a, a, an heir of David, and he didn't want any rivals to his throne. When Herod the Great died, Herod Antipas, followed in daddy's footsteps, and he was named Tetrarch of Galilee. Uh, so in the northern Galilean region, uh, he was the king, and the kingdom was his. And uh, you sh should know that Herod Antipas, um, he later was asked to weigh in on the crucifixion of Jesus at the end of Jesus' life, uh, but he made... Um, a notorious name for himself, uh, when he decided that kings could do whatever they wanted to do and sort of divine right of kings, and he wanted to, to steal his brother's wife, which he did, and he made her his own, and Her Herodias was her name. And there were an awful lot of people, I, I just it's hard to imagine how this could happen, but there were a lot of people that sort of looked the other way when Herod Antipas uh, married Herodias. It was scandalous to people of religion, but very few people in authority would stand up to Herod Antipas, except for John the Baptist. And the message to Herod Antipas was the same as it was to everybody else, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now the king, who thought he could do whatever he wanted, uh, didn't like that talk about another kingdom, and he promptly had um, John the Baptist arrested. And uh, that's where our scripture text 
picks up. Later, we find out that uh, he has John the Baptist executed. And just so you know, uh, Herod Antipas, at the end of his life, was exiled. Nobody knows where he's buried. Uh, John the Baptist, if you wonder if people honor folks who speak truth to power, uh, John the Baptist's tomb is in the Umayyad Mosque, uh, one of the great holy places of Islam. Before it was a mosque, it was a church, and before that it was a Roman temple, and John the Baptist has a magnificent tomb there. The right occipital bone of his wrist is on display at the top copy palace in uh, Istanbul, and there is a monastery between Cairo and Alexandria in the desert of Egypt called the St. Macarios Monastery. And in the basement of that monastery is a sacred tomb that those monks believe John the Baptist is buried there. It's quite possible since he was beheaded that part of his body is in Damascus and part of his body is still revered in Egypt. But when Jesus shows up, right after John was arrested, Jesus shows up and begins his ministry, according to John the Baptist, in Galilee, where guess who is the king? Herod Antipas, who thought he'd gotten rid of this repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And Jesus' message is verbatim the same as John the Baptist. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. If you want to know what life is all about, in, in a nutshell, this is it. To embrace and accept the rule of God as the ultimate authority in our life. You see, it was a practice back then, uh, whenever a king would conquer a new territory, he'd line up all the citizens at one at a time, they'd be forced to pass, uh, there would be a soldier standing there holding a bar out, and you'd have to pass under the bar by bowing your head and passing beneath it in a sign of subservience and a, a, a surrender of your your loyalty to the authority of the new king. But John the Baptist and Jesus are both declaring is that the king who is deserving of our authority is God. And the amazing thing is, Jesus then, as soon as he makes this message known, he invites people to join him. And they're common fishermen. James and John, the sons of Zebedee, and Peter and Andrew, and they, they follow him immediately. Um, in 1985, in February, while I was still serving at Faith Church, I had the privilege of traveling to South Florida to take part in the Billy Graham School of Evangelism that was held concurrently with his South Florida crusade. And for a week, I learned and listened to this great Christian man who preached to, in his lifetime until his death in 2018. He preached to 210 
million people in his lifetime in 185 countries. And Billy was laser focused on the purpose of life. And that was to encourage human beings like you and me to make a decision to accept the Lordship of Jesus Christ and to uh, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. I can tell you that for me, in a, a lifetime of relationship with God, I've learned how to win and how to lose, um, when to look after myself and when to be concerned about greater greater concerns. In this period of COVID, when so many people, including people that I know and love, have died, um, I've been given hope in this faith in Christ that life is bigger than you and me. It's more eternal than our earthly frames. And that uh, if you want to know what life is all about, making a decision to say yes to Jesus as Lord uh, will inaugurate for you, if you've not already done it, a new day. And if you have done it, uh, I urge you to continue on that path because the world needs and uh, God desires uh, people who are faithful to him. Let us pray. Lord God, thank you for the messengers of our past who have shared your desires with us. Help us like John the Baptist when time arises and it's needed to speak your truth in every circumstance and to, uh, to live it with honesty and integrity. And we thank you for the hope that is ours in Jesus Christ and for a tradition of faith embodied in the people of this great congregation that continues to shape and transform the world around Freeport and beyond in your name and your glory, in Christ's name, amen.